0: Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. It's great to have you with me. I want to dive into a very difficult topic and give some perhaps unpopular views. We've had two legal verdicts come about of late, the Kyle Rittenhouse case up in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and the Ahmad Avery case down in Brunswick, Georgia. I want to talk about mainly the Rittenhouse verdict and what it might mean, what we ought to be thinking about It long term, uh, in terms of our country. I think you know these cases well. In the Ahmad Arbery case, uh, three white men saw Ahmad jogging in their Um, neighborhood. Uh, He stopped and looked at a house under construction. They assumed that he was up to no good. They assumed perhaps he was responsible for some of the maybe theft and other criminal activity that might have been happening in their area, particularly in the uh, house under construction. And they chased him down. And pursued him with weapons. And when he fought back, they shot and killed him. All of them were found guilty. I believe uh, this was the correct verdict in all cases. Uh, I'm sorry to say it under that under Georgia law. And given what these gentlemen did, uh, I believe it was absolutely the correct verdict. Now, let's talk about the Kyle Rittenhouse case. Uh, Because this is a very important case long term. You know the basic facts. A 17-year-old young man uh, went and spent the night with a friend uh, aware of rioting and protests in the town of Kenosha. Uh, The young man uh, had some connection to a business in Kenosha. He was asked by other business owners perhaps to protect his property. They had already tried to clean off graffiti and uh, correct the damage done by looters and by rioters and by protesters. So the next day, this 17-year-old man marched into this scene with an AR-15 strapped on. He was walking through the crowds. He was walking through the streets. Um, he was set upon by some, some unarmed protesters who saw a white man with a, uh, a, a, basically what looked to them like a rifle. It was not a pistol. It was a rifle. Um, and eventually there was tension. There was, he was pursued. He was shoved. Um, he tried to get away by all accounts. And finally he took his gun and shot three people. Two of them were killed. One of them was wounded. Now under Wisconsin law, he was found completely not guilty on all of six counts, six possible charges. And I'll have to tell you, I am not a lawyer. As I I say, every time we discuss a legal case, I've, I watched this case closely. I had friends involved in it. I read some of the trial transcripts. I watched the updates. Does not make me an expert, but I am convinced mainly because experts all over the country are convinced that under Wisconsin law, you could hardly have come to another verdict. Okay. So this was the right verdict. Now, I'm going to take the controversial stand that had I been on the jury, had I been instructed as the, as the judge did instruct this jury, uh, if I was made, given the understanding of Wisconsin law that the whole nation was given, the verdict was largely correct, okay? This man had not, did not uh, break any laws being 17 and carrying an AR-15 into a violent, contentious situation. He did not break any laws Uh, when he was set upon, beaten, had things thrown at him, knocked down, felt threatened for his life, pulled, pulled his gun off his shoulder and shot three people. I'm not making a moral defense of any of this. I'm saying that Wisconsin law allows for all of this. What I want to do in this podcast is, because I have a lot of people who are lawmakers who listen to this podcast, and I'm grateful for all of you, is I want us to ponder something else. We absolutely want a rule of law. We absolutely needed to try the Rittenhouse case along the lines, of course, of the the law that applied, which was Wisconsin law, and which is different than laws in other states. And so the verdict would have been different elsewhere. And many people were horrified when they heard uh, that he was found not guilty on all all counts. But they were largely thinking of maybe their own moral grid, or they were thinking of the laws in their own states, their own localities, which would have produced a different result. Now, let's lay aside just for a moment the issue of the law. And let's think about what kind of society that we want. I want to talk first about the AR-15, and I often get in trouble when I start talking in detail about weapons um, because I sometimes make technical mistakes, but I'm going to stay broad this time. And for those of you who may be new to the podcast, I want you to be aware I'm not anti-guns. Uh, I have guns of my own. Uh, I have a concealed carry uh, permit in the state of Tennessee. Of course, now a concealed carry permit is no longer necessary. We now have an open uh, open carry law, uh, which, by the way, I disagree with. I, I had to go through unbelievable uh, background checks and form filling out and fingerprinting and criminal checks and everything else to be able to carry a concealed weapon uh, I think that's that's appropriate I don't think we should have an open carry law but whatever that's where I am on Tennessee issues and most of you aren't from Tennessee but I want to consider just for a moment the simple uh, issue of the legality of a civilian owning an AR15 and the reason I'm doing this is not because I want to retry the written house verdict it's already been decided. It's been decided under Wisconsin law, and I've already said I think it was correct under Wisconsin law. I want us to ponder, though, if we want a society in which a civilian walks around with an AR-15. Now, let me just say quickly, uh, and I'm going to be drawing from other people's um, testimony and other people's expertise, not my own, but an AR-15 is a different kind of weapon. If you are shot by a handgun, it's a relatively low-velocity weapon, and it shoots a linear path through your body, um, and you probably won't bleed to death unless, of course, a, uh, a major organ is hit uh, or, or the, your spine is you know, snapped in some way by the shot. Um, it's very survivable. Statistically, it's quite survivable. But let me let me read to you something from uh, a... a tr- uh, basically an emergency room expert, a trauma surgeon expert um, as to the difference with an AR-15 from another typical weapon. An AR-15 fires at such high velocity that it does an immense amount of damage. Now, that's Stephen Mansfield talking. At this point now, I want to quote from the testimony of a trauma surgeon who sees AR-15 injuries all the time. From this point on until I say I'm not quoting anymore, I'm quoting. The injury along the path of the bullet from an AR-15 is vastly different from a low-velocity handgun injury. The bullet from an AR-15 passes through the body like a cigarette boat, traveling at maximum speed through a tiny canal. The tissue next to the bullet is elastic, moving away from the bullet like waves of water displaced by the boat, and then returns and settles back. This process is called cavitation. It leaves the displaced tissue damaged or killed. The high-velocity bullet causes a swath of tissue damage that extends several inches from its path. By the way, that's either side. That's my insertion now. It does not have to actually hit an artery to damage it and cause catastrophic bleeding. Exit wounds can be the size of an orange. I'm now no longer quoting. Now, why have I quoted this? Because many of us would assume that an AR-15 is just like any other rifle, just like any other handgun. It fires a bullet in a linear path through the body. And, you know, if you're the, if you're the victim, you hope it's not hitting any major organs or, or breaking any major bones. Um, and you're, it's, it's eminently survivable given our modern uh, medicine. An AR-15 fires a projectile so rapidly that the word that was used with, with me when I talked to a medical ec- expert was liquefy it almost liquefies two or three inches out in every direction. So if something blitzes by an organ, it can damage that organ without actually the bullet actually ever touching it. So this person I spoke to, again, a trauma surgeon, um, said that often he opens up a person shot by an AR-15. And while if it had been a handgun projectile that passed through the same route, of the body he, was, he or she was looking at at the time. I don't want to identify this person at all. Uh, this, this person was looking, this surgeon was looking at, had it been a handgun, it would have been survivable. They would have been, been able to fix it. However, with an AR-15 round fired at its high velocity rate through the body, the surgeon would often say almost with tears or or, in his or her eyes, um, I couldn't do anything. There was nothing to be fixed. This was just a fatal shot. Organs had been liquefied virtually. Damage had been wide. The hole in the back of the body was not just the size of the bullet, the same as the entry wound. Uh, The hole in the back, as I just read, could be the size. The person I spoke to um, used the fruit uh, of the lemon as an example of the size of the hole. The person in this article, uh, this testimony I've just read, used the size of an orange, which of course is bigger. So the first question I want to ask while I'm, while I'm cautious to have the government restrict weapons owned by civilians, I do believe in constitutional guarantees of, of weapon ownership. But that doesn't mean that I, don't, that I get to drive a tank down the road. doesn't mean I get to have a bazooka. doesn't mean that I get to have a, an automatic weapon, an Uzi or an M16 or whatever you, uh, weapon you might be imagining. There are restrictions on what I can own. I'm allowed to own weapons so I can defend myself, so I can form a militia when there's, a, when there's trouble. That's specifically mentioned um, in the Constitution. And for, of course, sport. I do a lot of shooting at ranges and things like that. And so I enjoy that sport. Don't do a lot of hunting these days, um, but I do a lot of shooting at ranges. Now, what's the point? The point is that an AR-15 is an unbelievably destructive weapon. And I'm perfectly happy to have laws that do not allow um, civilians to own AR-15s. I don't know why someone would want to own it. The government doesn't allow me to own a bazooka, doesn't allow me to own a tank, doesn't allow me to own an automatic weapon, uh, you know, a, a high-powered machine gun like they're using uh, in, in, in battlefields. Uh, there's a reason for all that. I'm not allowed to have landmines, by the way, and put them in my yard. There are restrictions on these rights for good reasons. So one of the first questions I want to ask about the Rittenhouse verdict, as much as I think it was right under Wisconsin law, is do we want civilians walking around with AR-15s or weapons like that, that are so high velocity that they are unbelievably deadly? Are we going, is that the society that we want? Number two, Kyle Rittenhouse, at the time he walked into that protest slash riot slash violent situation, was 17 years old. Now, again, I'm asking philosophical questions here, not legal ones. Don't, don't, don't answer me uh, in, in wherever you are with legal answers. I'm asking philosophical answers. Do we want a society in which a 17-year-old walks the streets with an AR-15 in a situation that's already contentious? I'm not talking about walking down the street on a Monday morning when everybody's just you know uh, looking around. I'm talking about uh, walking into a violent, contentious situation. So all of that to say, uh, do we want 17-year-olds to have that right? Under Wisconsin law, you can, ha- you do have the right to carry what they call in the law a long rifle, and an AR-15 is included in that. So Kyle Rittenhouse did nothing illegal when he carried a weapon at his, as a 17-year-old uh, down the streets of Kenosha, Wisconsin, according to Wisconsin law. Remember now, I'm not speaking of my morals. So Here's the question Do we want a society in which that's the case? Do we want a society in which a 17 year old can carry an AR 15? into a situation that's contentious in which he's very likely to be, yes, wrongly, but yes, accosted uh, for signaling his willingness to be violent. Again, he perfectly he was perfectly within his rights, but that is what happens when you walk down the street with a, with a gun openly uh, visible, and especially in a situation that's already violent and unstable. I'm not asking about the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. I'm asking about the kind of society that we want. And yes, I understand that there are certain rights that are guaranteed us, and I'm in defense of those rights. But I think the bigger issue here is that some of these laws, if I was in Wisconsin, I would say, yes, Kyle Rittenhouse is innocent under the law, and then I would work to change those laws. I would work to change how early in life a young man can carry, can do an open carry of a weapon. I would completely work to remove AR-15s in America from civilian ownership. There is no reason for that. And it would go on. So I want to urge those of you who are lawmakers, I want to urge all of us who are responsible citizens to think not just in terms of the verdict, not just in terms of left and right, not just in terms of a kind of a narrow definition of gun rights. Think about the society that we want. I'm completely in favor. In fact, I've said many times on this podcast, I think our society is safer when good people understand guns, know how to use guns, um, and have them. And by the way, carry them. Uh, I'm often armed for reasons that I've explained in previous podcasts. It's not that I'm a gun nut. It's that it has a practical reason in my life. I believe in it. And I believe that we're a safer society. You know, if there's a, if if there is a, a shooter at a mall, a shooter at a school, a shooter on the streets of the cities I live in, uh, I hope there are a lot of good citizens who are armed nearby, so that that situation can be ended by good, righteous people who know how to use their weapons. I believe in it completely. But I'm concerned about someone who's 17 years old being able to strap a rifle over his arm and walk the streets of a town. That's bound to end badly, signal the wrong things. I'm concerned about the laws that allow a 17-year-old to carry weapons openly into a situation of riot and protest and violence pre-existing not his not his fault but when he steps into that with a gun he's signaling something. I'm concerned about civilians being able to own AR-15s and I know that I'm lighting up some of my closest friends who are who believe differently from me but I don't know that our society's better for people being able to own an AR-15 and I own a number of guns and believe in it. And I think we ought to ponder that. I think we ought to ponder what that means. I think we ought to ponder what kind of society we we want to have and move beyond the narrow verdict, the specific issues, the six counts in the Rittenhouse case, and start asking ourselves some philosophical questions. Start asking ourselves what kind of society we want, because there is no constitutional right to necessarily carry every weapon that is produced by any manufacturer. That's crazy. I can't own a fighter jet. I can't own a bazooka. That's nuts. So there's some restrictions. What do we want them to be? What's the rational line? Let's stop letting the extremes on both ends make those decisions for us. The Kyle Rittenhouse verdict was right under the law, but disturbing in terms of the kind of society that we want. I'm sure he's. A, I'm sure, by all accounts, he's a he's just a normal American kid. But he grew up in a culture. Uh, he didn't have a father in the home, by the way. Dif- very difficult home life, um, and he uh, he was very strongly turned towards weapons. Obviously, if you're walking down the street at night uh, during a riot with an AR-15, this is this is coming from a culture that's produced you. I'm not blaming the kid. I'm saying, what kind of culture do we want to have as a country? Let's think about it. Let's be reasonable. Let's come back from the extreme ends. Yes, let's guarantee certain gun rights, but let's figure out how far that goes. If he had walked the streets with a bazooka, if he had bought an army surplus tank. I know I'm being extreme and silly to make a point. Would we feel the same about this? Does he have that same right? If he started throwing grenades, does he have that same right? Well, there are reasons we say no. How far should that no go? We better decide soon because the Rittenhouse case sends a signal to the country and there are people out there you can be sure who are saying, okay, if he can do that, then I can, representing an opposite cause, do the same thing and before long we're going to have shooting on the streets, um, wars, low-level wars, uh, perhaps something approaching a civil wars in some civil war in some localities that we are not going to want. And wise statesmanship will help prevent it. If we'll think now, do a little bit of philosophy, do a little bit of envisioning, pull in from the extremes and start doing good statecraft.